Well, on this first Sunday of Advent, we're starting this new series, Oh, Come Let Us Adore Him. And as we start this new series, we're going to be thinking throughout the month of December uh, about what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. But as we launch into that, I need to start with a question. And the question is kind of a personal question, I understand that, but I need your response in some form or fashion. Uh, have you ever given anyone the silent treatment? You know what I mean, right? I mean, somebody got mad at you, you got mad at them, they said something to you, you said something to them. It might be your husband, it might be your wife, it might be your neighbor, it, it might be that person sitting beside you right now. But, you know, you just, you just gave them the silent treatment. Or, you could flip it over, has anybody ever given you the silent treatment? Yeah, it feels different when you, when you receive it, doesn't it? But somebody gives you the silent treatment, it's really rough sometimes. Uh, you know, I'm a Green Bay Packer fan, and the reports are uh, recently, just came out recently, that Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, has not spoken to his family in over two years. And in fact, that's likely not to change anytime soon because it was revealed that his parents don't even have his cell phone number anymore. Now, I can imagine what it's like to, to go through life, to go through years of your life and not talk to somebody who's part of your family. I, I can't believe what, I can't imagine what it would be like to experience the silent treatment from somebody in your family for two plus years. But what do you do if the one who is silent in the relationship is God? And what do you do if it's not just two silent years, but what if the silence lasts for 400 years? I want you to listen to Amos chapter 8. Don't turn there. You don't have time to find it. You'll be looking for it while I'm still preaching. Amos, I find it because it's marked in my Bible. See, I got this little Amos chapter 8. There's a great prophecy there in Amos chapter 8 about the silence of God, about the time coming when God would stop speaking. Here's what it says The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, not just the Lord, but the sovereign Lord. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord. When I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Israel had rejected God's word. And so God said, okay, I'm going to announce to you that because you reject, rejected my words, you will not hear from me again. Because you rejected my words, you would not hear my words anymore. And in verse 12 it says that men will stagger from sea to sea, wandering in a complete circuit around the land of Israel, trying to hear from God. In other words, from the Dead Sea to the, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, and then from the north down to the east, they would wander around hoping to find someone who could give them a word from the Lord. And God said, but they would not find it. Then the very last prophet to speak on God's behalf was the prophet Malachi. That also, of course, is the last book of the Old Testament. And I want you to find this one. Uh, this will be easier to find. It's the last book of the Old Testament. It's right before the book of Matthew in the New Testament. Malachi, the last chapter, the last two verses in this last book, 
This is the last prophetic statement that God ever made in the Old Testament days. Interesting what he said before he went silent. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Now, I'm not going to try to explain all of that to you today. I'm just going to ask you to note it. I'm going to ask you to remember it. Maybe stick a piece of paper there or something. I I just want you to recognize the verse because you may very well hear it again later in the message. Now, Malachi, that was God's last word. Malachi, last book in the Old Testament. When you flip over from Malachi to Matthew, it's not very far, is it? Just a page or two from Malachi to Matthew. Not very far at all. But you need to realize that there is a 400-year gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. During that 400 years, this 400-year gap between the Old Testament and ending and the New Testament beginning, during that 400-year gap, God was silent. There was no prophetic voice. God was not responding to His people. God literally stopped communicating with His people. In fact, those 400 years are known in theological circles as the silent years. Now, you need to understand how long 400 years is because a lot can happen in 400 years, right? Uh, Let me help you kind of get a time frame of of how much can change in 400 years and what all can happen in that time frame. Uh, Let's just talk about America, for example. What was going on in America 400 years ago? Well, first of all, there was no America. If you remember your history, Jamestown, the English colony, was established in 1607. The pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock, since this is Thanksgiving season. Pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock when? That's right, 1620. That's right, you got it right, didn't you, Kathy? So they landed in 1620. Now, a lot has happened since then, right? Like the birth of our country, 1776. Now, here's my point. Imagine going from the time of the pilgrims until today with no word from God. Imagine going from the time of the pilgrims until today God was silent. That was what's happening between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And yes, the people in this time, yes, they had the Old Testament scriptures, but there was no prophetic voice It was as if God had stopped speaking. But even though God wasn't speaking, He was still moving. He was still working. And that's part of what this series is going to be all about. What God was doing in that 400-year gap. How God was at work, though He was silent during that time. But we're not going to talk about all that today. That will be later in the series. But I do want to talk to you about a special day. A certain day when God finally broke the silence. After 400 years, God broke the silence. And and I just want to tell you the story, and then we'll read part of it. There was an old man who was a priest. His name was Zechariah. Zechariah lived in the city of Jerusalem. And in that day, if you were a male descendant of Aaron, you were automatically a priest. He, he, He was a priest because of the family he was born in. So Zechariah was a priest, and he was married to a lady whose name was Elizabeth. 
Now, Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. She wasn't a priest, but she was born into that priestly line of Aaron. So, in today's terminology, we would say Zechariah was a preacher, and he was married to a preacher's daughter. Because every direct male descendant of Aaron was automatically a priest, well, that meant that there were a lot of priests. In fact, William Barclay, the uh, the scholar, Old and New Testament scholar, said, he estimates that there were probably maybe 20,000 priests in that day. Now, that would mean if there were 20,000 priests, that you'd have a hard time kind of finding something for everybody to do, right? And so they divided the priest up into 24 divisions. And each division had about 900 priests in it, approximately. And, and here's what they did. They kind of served on a rotating basis at the temple. And so, when it was your turn, your division got to serve at the temple for one week, two times a year. But even then, not everybody got to do something significant, because there were 900 of them. If it was your week to be on duty at the temple, there were 900 priests standing around looking for something to do. So, how do you decide what everybody's going to do? Well, they drew lots. They cast lots. They drew lots and, and determined, all right, if the, if the lot fell on you, then you would do this or do that. Well, this particular time when Zechariah, the old priest, was about to go serve at Jerusalem, they drew lots, and the lot fell on him to burn the incense in the holy place and the temple. Now, that was a high honor. That was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. This is not something you get to do every other year. This was probably a once-in-a-lifetime experience simply because there were so many priests drawing lots, 900 of them. So this was a once-in-a-lifetime experience to get to go in the temple and to burn incense. Now, let me tell you a little bit about his family before I talk about what happened in the temple. Uh, as, as I told you, Zechariah was married to a, a lady named Elizabeth, and they were godly people. They lived by the Jewish standards, and, and they were godly people. They were a priestly family, but there was something strange about this priestly family. They were childless. Lots of people are childless in our day and time. I understand that. But in that day, if you were a Jew and you were childless, it was seen as a curse from God. It was specially significant that not only were they Jews, but they were both from a priestly family. And they were childless. And so when people would look at Zechariah, when, when they would look at Elizabeth, they would look at them oddly like, I wonder what's wrong with them. I wonder why they don't have kids. I mean, he's a priest, but he's cursed by God. And so they would look at them strangely. And still, Zechariah and Elizabeth continued to serve the Lord. They did, I'm sure, what you and I would do and what some of you have done. They prayed. They prayed and prayed and prayed, asking God for a child. They prayed, I'm sure, in their early days when they first got married, hoping, exciting, wanting that baby so badly. They prayed, and God was silent. And as they got older, they got a little bit more anxious, probably especially Elizabeth. Zechariah probably saw others having babies and thinking, I'd like to have a son. I'd like to hold a son like that. And so they prayed. They were a priestly family. That's what priests do. They prayed. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And God was silent. They got into their middle age years and they start to get a little anxious because, you know, Elizabeth's not getting any younger. There's a, the window of opportunity is narrowing. And so they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and God was silent. 
and they were childless. And they got to be old people. I don't, I'm not going to tell you how old. I really don't know how old. But they got the Bible calls them well advanced in years. And probably the dream of having a child was almost dead. I said almost. You see, they served the Lord faithfully, even though they were childless and confused and brokenhearted. And as best they could, they tried to walk with God, even though it had been generations since anybody had even heard from God. And year after year, decade after decade, century after century, there was a famine in the land. Not a famine of food or water, but a famine of hearing from the words of the Lord But then the day came for Zechariah to go to the temple. Remember, that was his opportunity. The day came for him to go into the temple. The day came, once in a lifetime experience. You need to understand, not every priest even had that opportunity. It's not like everybody in the 900 in his division would have this chance. This was a unique opportunity. And so he goes in there into the temple and he stands in God's presence and he offers the incense to God and he starts praying. What do you think he prayed about? I think he was asking God for a child. I mean, wouldn't you? If you had a chance to go into the temple, if you had a chance to stand in the presence of God, if you had a chance to offer incense in the temple, this was your chance to talk to God directly. No, you hadn't heard to God in your entire lifetime. In fact, nobody had heard from God for generations. But if you had that chance... You'd probably do that too. You'd pray. And you'd ask God for a child. I mean, he knew his Old Testament. He knew what God had done for Abraham and what God had done for Sarah in their old age. He knew how God had given them a son when it was humanly impossible to get one. And so he prayed. He prayed hoping that even though God had grown silent, he might hear the prayer of an old man. And maybe God would respond. And then it happened. God broke the silence. After 400 years, God finally speaks. Let's read about it. It's in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Verse 8, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. See, he's in there by himself. It's just him and God. Everybody else is gathered outside and they're praying. And he's there, that once in a lifetime chance in God's presence. And let's see what happens. Verse 11. Then, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to give him the name John. 
God broke the silence. And when he broke the silence, he spoke to this old man, he spoke to this old priest, and he said, you're going to be a daddy. Now, please understand who this John was. Because he said, you're to give him the name John. You know who this John would one day be? This John would one day be John the Baptist. John the Baptist. What's the significance of that? Well, let's read. Verse 14. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice this, even from birth. In other words, there's something special about this little boy. There's something unique about this son. There's something special about this answer to prayer. God has a special plan for this boy. In fact, it says in verse 16, many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And look at verse 17. See if this sounds familiar. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make, a, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Does that sound familiar to anybody? The last thing that God said in the Old Testament, the thing that God said 400 years ago before He went silent, God now speaks to Zechariah, the old man in the temple, and said, I'm going to give you a son who will prepare the way for my son. The one I prophesied about 400 years ago is the one that will be born into your family. And he will prepare the way for my son. Now I want to give you four lessons about life. We're going to read some more scripture in a moment, but let me just give you four lessons about life. These are going to be short. Number one, lesson number one. Silence from God does not mean inactivity of God in your life. Silence from God does not mean inactivity of God in your life. Here's what I mean. Be careful that you don't equate God's silent moments as moments when God is disengaged in your life. Just because you've prayed and God hasn't responded, just because you've waited and heaven has seemed silent, just because you've asked and God hasn't said anything, does not mean that God's not doing anything. He is always moving. He is always God. He is always sovereign. And He is likely doing more than you realize. I mean, just think about it from these... from. Uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth's standpoint. Don't you imagine that when they were a young couple and they were praying to God for a child, don't you imagine that it just broke their heart when they didn't hear anything? And when they were a middle-aged couple and they were praying for a child and they prayed with all of their heart and they thought, Lord, we're serving you, we're, we're faithful to you. Don't you imagine they had a hard time understanding why God was silent? And when they got to be old enough in years and they knew that it was almost probably humanly impossible, don't you know that that waiting was hard? The silence of God was hard. Don't you know that in their spirit they just kept feeling God saying, No, 
no, no. But you know, God wasn't saying no. You know what God was saying? God was saying, wait. You just wait. Because I've got something big for you that you don't even realize. Oh, now watch this. If he had given them a little boy when they were 25, it been a wonderful thing. But when he gave them a boy when they were maybe 85, and this wasn't just any little boy, this was John the Baptist who would prepare the way for the Lord Jesus. God's wait is worth waiting for. Lesson number two. God's timeline for everything in your life is right and purposeful. God's timeline for everything in your life is is right and purposeful. I don't know about you, but God oftentimes does not work according to my timeline. And it frustrates me to no end. I've got a timeline, I've got a calendar, I've got appointments, I've got a schedule, I've got an idea, I've got a dream, and here's my timeline, God, would you please bless it? And God says, would you put that away? I've got something so much better than that. Chuck Swindoll said, God is never too early, He is never too late, but He is always on time. Lesson number three. God can do anything that He wants, whenever He wants, with whomever He desires to do it. The pastor, where do you get that? Well, let's pick up the story again. Verse 18. I love this part of this story. Verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, after he's been told you're going to be a daddy, he asked the angel what you and I would have asked. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. He's not going to say, she's an old woman. (laughs) Verse 19, the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you, parentheses, after 400 years of silence. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now, you will be silent and not able to speak. Until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which were come true at their proper time. All right? I've broken the silence. I told you how I was going to bless you. But if you don't believe it, fine. Your turn. You're going to be silent. You're not going to be able to say anything until you see it happen. Verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. I bet he did, didn't you? Don't you? I bet he was so animated, trying to explain what he couldn't say. Verse 23, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months remained in seclusion. Interesting statement. Five months remained. Why? Five months. Until it became evident that she was pregnant. Who is going to believe her? Right? Now, I don't know that I've made this a public announcement. Maybe I have, maybe I haven't. My, my daughter, Kelly, is pregnant. And she's five or six months pregnant. If you want to know what Elizabeth looked like, look at Kelly. 
You know, I just got to slide that in there. I'm going to be a granddaddy. I got to slide that in there when I can. But I actually was thinking about that. It's like Elizabeth was about as far as along as Kelly was before she came out publicly and let people see her belly. She's an old woman. She wore loose clothing until that time, probably. But then she was five months or so pregnant. She finally went public, so to speak. But look what happened in verse 25. It says in verse 24, for five months she remained in seclusion. Verse 25, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. You see, they knew, didn't they? Elizabeth knew, Zacharias knew, Zechariah knew. They knew that people looked at them funny. They knew that people looked at them with questions. They knew that people didn't understand how they could be a priestly family and not have children. And so Elizabeth waited till she was pregnant and it was obvious. And she said, the Lord has done this for me. He has taken away my disgrace. Now, it is not a disgrace if, you, if you're not able to have children. But I am saying in that Jewish society, for a priestly family not to be able to have children was something unthinkable. And so let's finish the story real quickly so I can get you to the next lesson. Uh, Verse 57, skip down to verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. I mean, why not? It's the only child they've got. If you've got a boy, name him after his daddy. But his mother spoke, and, uh, spoke up and said, No, he's to be called John. They said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. So what are you talking about John? There's no John in your family. Why would you name him John? You need to call him Zechariah after his father. Verse 62, I love this. Remember, Zechariah still can't speak. And then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, I think in big letters, his name is John. Because last time I spoke to that angel, I didn't do what that angel said, and I can't speak anymore. His name is John. And then look what happened. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. And everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. What is this child going to be? There is something different about this child. There's something different about this story. There's something different about this baby. What is this child going to be? I can answer the question for you. This child is going to be the one who would grow up and one day say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This child was going to be the one who would prepare the way for Jesus. God can do anything He wants, whenever He wants, with whoever He wants. 
So he said to Zechariah, you're going to have a son who will prepare the way for my son. I want you to bow your heads for a moment. I'm going to talk to you. All of that good news, all that, that wonderful story, all of that happened in the silent years of Zechariah. In those hard years. When he and his wife would get on their knees and together they would pray and heaven was silent. And they tried to walk with God, but nobody had heard from God for centuries. This was a hard time. This was a difficult season to go through. And even it lasted all the way through the years till there an old man and an old woman still hanging on to God, still hanging on to the faith, but still wondering why God was so silent. And maybe you are too. Maybe you're still hanging on to your faith, still hanging on to your God, but you're still wondering why God has been so silent. And what I would say to you today is if you're in that silent period, God may be doing more than you know. And it may not be on your timetable, and it may not be your choosing, but God can do whatever He wants with whoever He wants, whenever He wants. He is Lord, and He is God. And sometimes what He is working on is worth waiting for. And it's more than you could imagine. In this time of invitation, it would be a great time for you just to come by yourself or with your husband or with your wife and just get on your face before the Lord at the throne of grace and say, God, I'm trusting in you. And though I haven't heard from you in a while, though it seems like heavens are brass and you have been silent, I'm still declaring my faith and my trust is in you. And for some of you, you've never heard from God because you don't know him. You don't have a relationship with him. But the whole story of Christmas is the story of what God did so that you could know Him personally. So that you can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If you place your faith today in Christ Jesus, what He did on the cross, the Bible says that you can have that personal relationship with Jesus. And I'm going to ask you to do that as we sing. We're just going to sing one stanza unless you're coming. If you're coming to pray, we'll continue. If you're coming to receive Christ, we'll continue. But we're going to sing one stanza, so you come quickly. If you're going to come today, respond to what God says in your heart. Father, in Jesus' name, may you speak to us in such a way that it, we know it's your voice. And we praise you in Christ's name.